read me romance read read me romance read me romance read read me romance you could take a look in a book that's fine or you could sit back relax and unwind and read me romance read read me romance today's episode of read me romance is brought to you by vague booking just tell us who you're talking about hey guys It's me, Tessa. You're listening to Read Me Romance. I'm here by myself in my basement with my cat today. No Leah and Mel in sight, but they'll be back on Friday. In the meantime, I'm going to play the second installment of Swipe by Kennedy Ryan. I know you guys are loving it as much as I am. So I'm just going to hit play and I'll catch up with you guys on the other side. Bye. Chapter two. Adam. It's my lucky day in more ways than one. I maneuver my car into a rare, empty spot in front of Miko's Gramercy Park brownstone. A glance at my watch tells me I'm a few minutes early. Overeager bastard, I mutter to myself, and climb the short flight of steps leading to a front door, which is covered with an ornate wrought iron design. The day dragged after the awards luncheon. I've been looking forward to this ever since. Yes, to a hot meal that isn't takeout, because I know Miko is an outstanding cook. And hell yes, Miko's revelation of new material from Patrick Riley intrigues me. He was a -a once-in-a-lifetime talent, and I feel privileged to have worked with him. But the possibility of another Riley novel isn't what has my palms sweating and my heart clanging in my chest like a bell. It's her. Seeing Miko twice in a month, much less twice in a day, makes me eager as a Labrador retriever. The memory of how beautiful she looked earlier has me panting like one, too. I've wrestled with guilt since the day I met Patrick's wife. Ten years ago, on an autumn night like this, I had dinner with the Rileys for the first time in a far less exclusive neighborhood than this one. We ate outside on the patio of Zappano's, an underrated Italian restaurant. The two of them glittered brighter than the backdrop of the city. They were in love. The palpable kind of love that thickens the air and makes you feel like a third wheel. But you're witnessing something so rare you can't make yourself leave. I kept reminding myself not to stare at her, that she was someone else's wife. She was my new client's wife, and I never made a pass, never allowed myself to think of Miko in any terms but as Patrick's. Even after he died, it was hard to think of her as anything but his, because of the sadness that hung over her like a cloud. I assumed, we all assumed, she was grieving her husband so badly that it would be a long time before she'd even date. I assumed that their rare love would be too hard for another man to live up to. Today, when she mentioned wanting to get back out there, I was shocked and immediately pushed myself to the front of any line forming to win Miko Riley. I do mean win, because Miko is a prize. Brilliant and talented in her own right, she's also funny and sexy as hell. I won't say Patrick didn't deserve her, but I know over the last few years he didn't appreciate what he had. From my front row seat, I saw how he neglected everything, including his gorgeous wife, for the sake of his art. I benefited from it. Icon Books benefited. We all ate off that hog, but I suspect Miko paid the price. And today I asked myself, not for the first time, was that price too high? The door opens within seconds of me ringing the bell. I cement my face into pleasant, polite lines. But some beast slumbering at the bottom of my belly rouses and growls at the sight of Miko. So petite standing in the mammoth doorframe. She's loosened. Her hair, often tamed and pinned, halos around her face in a soft cloud of textured curls and coils. 
The coppery skin of her face, neck, and shoulders gleams with health. At the luncheon, she wore a fitted blue dress that, despite its modest cut, showed every dip and curve of her body. Now she wears black leggings and a shell-pink oversized cashmere sweater that slides off one shoulder. Her feet are bare, and her toes are painted the same shell-pink. God, she's beautiful, and has no idea how she affects me. Right on time, she says, stepping back and gesturing for me to come inside. The foyer looks mostly the same as it did the last time I visited. Same impossibly high ceiling, crystal chandelier, winding staircase. But I note a few subtle changes. Expensive art, in some cases famous art, used to hang on the walls and were the first things you saw. It inspired a sense of awe and a hush like you were entering a museum. Now photos of family and friends fill almost every empty spot on the wall. It instantly warms the space, personalizes it in a way I didn't know it needed until now. I step to the wall for a closer look. There's a photo of Miko as a child, hoisted onto the shoulders of a tall man with mahogany skin and laughing eyes. Square and rectangular frames document her high school and college years, a line of landmarks and memories. I notice one woman in several photos. She has the same almost feline features, the same textured curls, but cut closer, cropped, and the same perfect distribution of curves on her lean, petite body as Miko. Your sister? I pointed the woman on the wall. Yes. She steps into the space beside me, and the clean, citrusy scent I've come to associate with her over the years fills the air. How did you know? We look that much alike? I clear my throat and surreptitiously draw shallow breaths rich with her perfume. Yeah, you look a lot alike. You're prettier, sexier. I leave it unsaid, but it's true. There's a whole list of things I leave unsaid and wish I could tell Miko. Like how I kept a book of Zappano's matches from the night I met her. Stupid. I left the Rileys buzzing with excitement for the chance to work with such a talented author and aching with disappointment that his wife was taken. Patrick was still smoking then. He'd lit up right at the table, despite the signs forbidding it. Even then there had been some sense of entitlement to him. Like the promise of his success was enough to grant him exceptions to any rule. Horrified, Miko had snatched the cigarette from between his lips and squashed it in a nearby bowl. She'd taken the book of matches from him, dropped it on the table, and shot me an apologetic look. When it was time to go, I paid the bill, and on some idiotic impulse, grabbed the small book with one match missing. Later at home, I held that book of matches, tracing the edges and wishing for things that could never be mine. I shoved it to the back of my nightstand drawer along with my irrational and fruitless crush on Miko Riley. I can honestly say with some pride that I never allowed myself to think of how I felt that night, how her husky laugh ran through our conversation like a shot of whiskey, how the candles coaxed gold flecks from her brown eyes and sifted amber into her dark hair, how her nimble mind leapt from politics to the classics to Seinfeld, clearing each hurdle with effortless intelligence and humor. No. I didn't allow myself to think of that night, of those things, until Patrick was gone. That matchbook still languishes in the back of my nightstand drawer, keeping my ill-fated wishes company. She lives in Denmark. What? I ask, wrenching myself from my private memories. Who lives in Denmark? My sister. You said we look alike. I was just saying her husband's moved them to Denmark. Miko shoots me a puzzled grin. You okay? Just starving. I run a hand through my hair. And tired.
Well, tired I can't do much about, she says, a smile blossoming on her pretty lips. But starving I can solve. Follow me. She walks down the hall ahead of me, and damn it, my eyes cling to the mellifluous swing of her hips and the firm high arc of her ass. She's a decadent collection of taut curves and tender lines, and my hands practically sting with the need to touch her, to sample what I've always had to deny myself. I hope Vietnamese is okay, she says, glancing at me over that one bare shoulder the sweater keeps slipping off. Is she wearing a bra? What am I, thirteen? Yeah, sounds great. I find my voice to answer. If it's anything like what you made at that party a couple years ago, I'm in for a treat. I remembered you enjoyed it and thought it was a safe bet. And selfishly, I wanted pho. I'm missing my mom and hers is the best. She stomps in the kitchen to adjust the flame under one pot. Almost done. She's out of town. I settle onto one of the metal bar stools at the island. Your mom, I mean. Yeah. Visiting our family in Vietnam for a few months, actually. A shadow lurking in her eyes dims her smile. Maybe you should have gone with her, I suggest softly. It did cross my mind. She glances up from spring rolls she's blanketing in translucent wraps and arranging on a platter. She offers a rueful smile. I'd love to get out of the city for a bit, but I'm under deadline and I knew I wouldn't work if I was with my mother. It would feel too much like vacation. I get that. I may go visit my dad. He lives in Hawaii. Nice, I say, because with a New York winter approaching, Hawaii would be a welcome change. Yeah, his job took him there shortly after my parents divorced, so I don't see him much either. I study the bright open kitchen with its white brick walls, stainless steel accents, and industrial-grade stove and refrigerator. The gray-white marble island is new. Everything is. You redecorated, I nod my approval. Feels fresh. I like it. Thank you. She turns to me with a bottle hoisted in each hand. White or red? Or do you need something stronger? White, please. I'll need a clear head if I expect to make it out of here without spreading Miko onto the surface of her new marble island and having my way with her, pushing up that sweater to discover once and for all if she is indeed bare-breasted. She pours glasses of wine for us both. I immediately take a deep sip, needing to shed some of today's stress. Hmm. I rolled the robust flavor around on my tongue. Delicious. Sauvignon Blanc. She sips hers and closes her eyes, a delicate groan rumbling in her throat. So good. Perfect with tonight's dishes. She sets her drink down on the counter and turns toward the glass-fronted cabinets to grab two large plates. Speaking of which, she says, I think we're just about ready. Help me carry some of this to the dining room? I help her carry the food through to the dining room and survey the variety of dishes dotting the ebony wood table once we're done. Whoa, I say. Are we expecting someone else? I hope not. I want time alone with her. No, just us. She dips her head, and a sheaf of dark waves obscures her face. I guess it's been a while since I cooked for more than just me, and I got carried away. I reach down to push the soft hair back from her cheek so I can see her, tucking it behind her ear. I've never presumed to touch her this intimately. For a moment, I'm afraid she'll slap my hand away. But instead, she leans in, closing her eyes briefly like she's savoring the warmth of my hand before pulling back. Thanks for getting carried away, I say with a slight smile. I'm so hungry there may not be leftovers. That's fine with me. 
She stretches to light two candles in the center of the long ebony wood table, and the neckline of her sweater droops a little more, revealing just the tops of her breasts. Holy shit. She's not wearing a bra. Just that glimpse shows me her breasts are small enough to take completely into my mouth. Let's eat, she says. Food stone, not her breasts, not her nipples, not sliding down her flat belly and feasting between her legs. Actual food. Let's, I agree, endeavoring to scrub all the filthy thoughts from my head in case they smudge my face. We fall into one of those perfect conversations, the kind that allows us to savor the hot food she's prepared. Steamy pho and bun cha, grilled pork, sausage patties, herbs and vegetables served with sticky rice. Lulls of quiet, punctuated with appreciative grunts. After we eat the edge off our hunger, the camaraderie that's always been natural for us kicks in, and we're discussing last season's Game of Thrones, the latest political blunders, and what we're reading. Honestly, I haven't had much time to read anything beyond my own authors, I admit. Anyone I should know about? She asks with a teasing glance over the rim of her wine glass. Are you harboring the next literary darling? A few prospects, but no one as good as... I chop the sentence off, kicking myself as hard as I metaphorically can for almost bringing up Patrick. As good as Patrick? She finishes for me, placing her glass down and raising a steady gaze. You don't have to avoid his name. It's okay. Sorry, I'm such an idiot. I didn't mean to. I'll only make this worse. Sorry. We both know what a rare talent Patrick was, she says softly before offering a bright smile and pivoting back into easier subjects. I've actually been reading a lot of romance. Romance? I quirk a dubious brow. Not judging, but that's not your usual fare from what I recall. Let's just say my usual fare wasn't... She squints an eye and offers a mischievous grin. Satisfying. The hell? Is she saying? Yes, I'm dealing with my loneliness through fiction, living my love life vicariously through smutty books. Her laugh hits a high note of defiance and then sinks to self-consciousness. She stands and grabs two of the half-full dishes from the table. Girls get horny too, you know. She leaves me in the dining room, stewing in stunned silence like the soup still on the table. Lonely? Smutty? Horny? I'm computing this information while I pull a few dishes from the table and follow her into the kitchen. Her complexion is too dark to show a blush, but embarrassment makes itself known on her face. She presses her stomach into the island and drops her head for a few seconds before glancing up. She shoves the cloud of dark hair back with both hands and drops her elbows to the counter and leans forward. I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable, she says. You didn't. I'm over my initial surprise that she would open up about something so personal. Now I'm strategizing how to get her to tell me more. How do I become the obvious solution to her little problem? Horny, are you? Me too. For you. For years. The thought ricochets in my head during the few moments of silence and I search for a way to make her feel at ease again. I'm sorry you're lonely, I say, walking over to stand beside her. I just didn't expect, I don't know, your honesty. My chuckle. Though you did tell me today you were ready to get back out there. Fortunately, she chuckles too. Her shoulders slowly drift down, losing some of their stiffness as the tension drains from our conversation. I didn't mean to dump all that on you. Obviously, I need more friends, she says, shaking her head. My mom is away. My sister is overseas. 
but beyond that she has four kids with another on the way. She's still acclimating to new schools, a new country. We don't talk nearly as much as we used to. Sorry to have blurted all that out. Hey, I bump her slim shoulder with mine. I wasn't just Patrick's editor, wasn't just his friend. I was your friend too. So tell me, talk to me. She slants me a smile, hesitation on her face for a moment before she giggles. It's a lighter sound than I've heard from her since Patrick died, and it makes me smile too. She stretches across the counter to reach for her phone, and I talk myself out of looking down her sweater again. Promise not to laugh, she says. We were around the same age, but with her bottom lip tucked between her teeth and wearing a hand in the cookie jar smile, Miko almost looks girlish. I make no promises. I pretend to wince when she hits my arm with her small fist. Okay, I won't laugh. I'm holding you to it. She wags her index finger in my face. She clicks on her phone for a few seconds and then holds the screen to her chest. Her dark eyes spark with anticipation even though she's still gnawing her bottom lip. She puts the phone down in front of me and covers her face with her hands. I glance at the screen and my jaw lowers like a drawbridge when I see Miko's profile picture. In the photo, she wears a stiff, constipated smile. Tinder? I say the word a little dazedly, confused, like a rocket ship just dropped down into an 1800s western. What the fuck? She peeks through her fingers, then lowers her hands altogether, snatches the phone, and hides it behind her back. Wow, Adam, you promised not to laugh, she says, her voice sharp and her eyes lowered. Apparently I should have added don't judge. Damn it, I've offended her. No, I say quickly. It's not that, I'm not judging. You sound pretty judgy to me. She tosses the phone onto the counter and starts transferring leftovers from serving dishes to storage containers. I just don't get it. I shrug and shake my head. It's Tinder. You've never heard of it? She pauses, a serving spoon suspended in the air and loaded with grilled pork. It's this dating app? And you... I get Tinder, Meek, I say, sliding easily back into the nickname I've always mentally assigned to her. I don't get why you need it. Seriously? She drops the spoon into the dish and spreads her arms wide, gesturing to the cavernous kitchen. Look around, Adam. Does it look like I'm the center of a bustling social circle here? No, but... And I'm not so much a flesh-and-blood woman as I am Patrick Riley's widow, she barrels on. Every man already in my acquaintance knows I was married to Patrick. They either assume I'm frozen with grief from the neck down, or like your boss Joseph, assume I'm so hard up I'll fuck the first thing that breathes on me heavy. I witnessed Joseph's interest firsthand today, but he's always looked at Miko that way. Even when Patrick was alive, I caught Joseph checking her out more than once. Grizzly asshole. At least I had the decency to put my feelings on ice. Do I miss Patrick? Miko continues not waiting for anything I might add. Of course I do, but after two years, I'm ready to get on with my life. She picks up the phone to click the screensaver and eclipse the app's interface. If I'm honest, she mutters, it feels a lot longer than two years. What do you mean? I ask, though I'm afraid I already know the answer. Longer than two years. Never mind. She resumes putting the food away. Let me put this in the fridge and I'll get the manuscript so you can go. Go? The hell if I'm going anywhere until I get to the bottom of this. I was just taken off guard. I try again. When you mentioned today that you wanted to get back out there, I didn't think you meant that. I'm so tired of being alone, Adam, she confesses softly. 
eyes cast down to her feet and hands twisting together at her waist. I want someone to hold my hand, someone to go to the theater with, someone to look at me like I'm still desirable. She aims a panic-filled look up at me, like she's said more than she intended. God, this is so embarrassing, she mumbles and slides her glance away again. Please forget this whole night ever happened. Like hell I'm forgetting this. I close the distance between us with a few steps and try to close it with a few words, too. You should have all those things. And more. I tilt her chin up and hope she sees my sincerity, my concern, my desire. I just wasn't expecting you to be looking for them on Tinder. Where should I meet an intelligent, attractive man my age who's actually looking for a woman his age? She asks. Seems to me they're all looking for someone ten years younger. It's a jungle out there and they all seem to want cubs. Miko, you have to know how gorgeous you are. Her eyes zip up to meet mine, widened with surprise. You think I'm... She shakes her head. Never mind, I just... Any guy who doesn't see all you have to offer at this age, <laughs> shit, at any age, isn't the right guy and wouldn't know what to do with a woman like you anyway. Our gaze is locked for long seconds, and I only hear the faint noises drifting in from the street and the pounding of my own heart. She finally snaps the cord drawing tight between us, looking away and moving again with quick efficiency to load food into the refrigerator. I watch her for a moment, then grab her phone, bringing the app back up and studying the screen. She pauses, watching me navigate the app. Go ahead, she draws a quick breath, blowing it out and rolling her eyes. Make fun of me. I'm not making fun of you. I click through the screens and look to some of the other profiles. Now this guy, him I'm laughing at. A reluctant smile tugs at her lips and she sets the bowl she's holding on the counter, crossing over to stand beside me so she can see the screen too. Her clean, citrusy scent tantalizes me again. And she may not realize it, but as she is leaning in to look at the screen, her arm is pressing into mine. I shift against the counter to hide the effect she's having on my twitching dick. Mama's boy, she says, pointing to the guy on the screen. You think? Uh, yeah. He's wearing socks with sandals. My vagina just shriveled up. A startled laugh booms out of me and echoes in the spacious kitchen. What about this one? I ask. With that mustache? She grins, the corners of her eyes slanting with the stretch of those full lips. Total perv. He'd pick me up in a white van. Damn, I mutter, frowning at the next profile, a large black poodle in the front with the owner several feet behind. Who's on Tinder, the dog or the owner? And what single grown-ass man owns a poodle? We flick through several more profiles, discounting them all with jokes and disparagement. You see what I mean? She asks with a weary breath after a few more minutes of fruitless exploration. Everyone's so weird, so weighed down with baggage, so desperate, so all the things I don't want to be. Maybe Tinder's not where you should be looking, I say, keeping my tone neutral. Maybe it's not so much swiping right as looking right in front of you. I'm not an unattractive guy. Women let me know all the time I hold a certain appeal. Hell, for that matter, a lot of guys let me know too, but I've never felt so uncertain as I do right now, waiting for her to get it, to see it, to see me. Her brows pinch together and she folds her lips for a second. Then she opens her mouth like she's about to speak before snapping it closed. She shakes her head, moves away, and picks up bowls to stow the remaining food in the fridge. Hey, stop for a second. I put my hand over hers on top of the covered bowl of leftovers. 
I'm saying if you're looking for someone who thinks you're gorgeous and smart and funny and sexy as hell, swipe right here. Look right here. When she lifts her eyes to me, they aren't haunted by shadows, but shaded with confusion. They're a little afraid and unsure. For a decade, I've held back because of respect, because of morals, because of sensitivity to her grief. Tonight, there's nothing left to hold back. There's someone who wants you, I tell her. Someone who would have you right now, if you would have him back. I pause and brace myself to bear all the feelings I've stuffed, to risk rejection from the woman I respect more than most I've ever known. I saw her with Paul at Zappano's that first night. Maybe her real fear is that she'll never want anyone, love anyone like that again. But if she's looking for someone who will want her with that kind of intensity, she doesn't need an app to locate him. Meek, that's someone. It's me. Shit is getting interesting, am I right? Okay, you guys, if you're loving Kennedy Ryan, you want to click more of her books, there are some links in the episode description. She has two books that I highly recommend on Kindle Unlimited, Long Shot and Block Shot. They're like, they're, I think they're called, I think the series is called Hoops. And they are about basketball players and they're swoony and emotional and impactful and you should read them for sure. So click those there. The links are in the episode description as well as the one that will allow you to pre-order this lovely offering, Wipe. So, in well, pre-order it in ebook. Uh, so anyways... You guys, we'll see you tomorrow. I hope you enjoyed. Bye. Love you. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book that's fine. Or you could sit back, relax, and unwind. And read me romance. Read, read me romance.